Hello and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Vangustein, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today, a flood of new money is suddenly flowing into emerging debt and equity funds with China's recent reopening. And we'll also look at an activist investor taking on Alibaba, and ask what are his chances of winning. Probably not too big. We'll start with the emerging debt and equity funds, which may not sound too sexy to average listeners, but for people who've suffered with huge losses trading in China stocks and bonds over the last two years, the topic's certainly been a big one. That suffering seems to be ending with Beijing's decision last month to reopen after nearly three years of zero COVID. The shift has sparked rallies for both Chinese stocks and bonds. Data from Bank of America shows investor interest continues to grow by the day, with investors pumping a record 12.7 billion dollars into emerging debt and equity funds over a three-day period in mid-January. So, Renee,、uh, this is data for emerging market funds, but China is obviously a big part of that. Uh, the rising positive sentiment actually dates back to late last year, when the U.S. and China securities regulators signed a landmark information sharing agreement to better police U.S. listed China companies. It got a further boost with the end of zero COVID in December. So the question to you is, how much longer do you think this is going to last? Well, I think it's、uh, the interest is certainly there.、Um, it it. I think it's going to continue to grow to some extent. The big difference today, compared to let's say pre-COVID investments in in Chinese companies, at least those listed in the U.S., is that、uh, uh, a lot of things have happened、uh, over the past three years,、um, especially in certain sectors that have tempered. The interest of U.S. investors, aside from the risk of delisting,、um, and、uh, I think that、uh, it is very tempting, obviously, because the valuations had been so depressed, to invest on the play of reopening of the economy and the return to、uh, a normal life in China. So、uh, that will continue to play up. I think. I think there will be ups and downs depending on、uh, economic news, but the trend、uh, should continue. I think to be positive. It's going to be sector by sector, though.、Um, I think that right now, obviously, some investors are focused on consumer goods, everything that has to do with consumers, everything that has to do with healthcare, because COVID is still obviously pretty fresh on the mind of people. And it has clearly established that,、um, that there was a huge need for investment in the healthcare sector in China.、Mm-hmm. And then I think that、um, uh, some savvier investors, or maybe、uh, more enlightened investors, will focus on the few sectors where the Chinese government has、uh, clearly indicated that it is very important strategically for China going forward. And you know, in that sense, you look at the new energy, chips, healthcare, next generation IT, especially as there's a huge effort pushed by the government to modernize and upgrade、uh, everything that is industrialization in China. Okay, 
So my next question was going to be sort of what sectors do you like? I mean, how about the internet? I mean, the internet has always been China's big thing, e-commerce, short videos, I guess, uh, what's it, uh, ByteDance? Social media. I mean, is, is the internet dead in your, <laughs> in your mind or is... Is that a, an area that you think might come back in the, you know, in the future soon? I think a lot of it will depend on, um, you know, the signals that come from the regulators in China and much more than signals, whether those signals will have legs, um, if I could say that. Mm. <laughs> uh, the Chinese, Chinese, yeah, the Chinese government and, and Chinese regulators are known for, you know, making sometimes very grand pronouncements, but then there's very little that really follows in terms of concrete action. So having been burned uh, a few times, if you think about sectors of the internet, social media, the education sector. Uh, and and the gaming sector and so on. I think that investors are going to be fairly cautious. I'm sure that some will jump or have already jumped because um, you know the temptation to make money is just pretty strong. <laughs> but I think that the, I think that a lot of investors will take a little bit of a wait and see attitude with respect to certain sectors. Now, internet sector is obviously very wide and diversified. Uh, you know, in there you have e-commerce and uh, with the reopening, e-commerce uh, should be able to perform better. Social media, that's a bit of a different issue and that's obviously much more sensitive from a regulatory standpoint. So hmm. we'll see. Okay. How about, uh, you know, most of the focus is on stocks, but, uh, you know, China does have its big fair share of uh, corporate bonds out there. Um, usually the, the company type you look for in bonds is a little different from, from stocks. I mean, uh, are there any sort of sectors you like for any bond buyers out there? Well, I mean, once again, I think that everything, you know, those sectors that are the favorite sectors of the government, uh, to the extent that they need debt financing uh, in addition to equity financing or instead of equity financing, I think have a much better chance of performing uh, strongly in the market. On the other hand, uh, we have all seen what happens when a sector uh, runs out of favor and how much money uh, <laughs> investors have lost uh, in, um, in the real estate sector, uh, where bonds have been depressed at different levels and, and, and uh, different drops in valuation based on companies. But generally, you know, that is where a lot of companies have defaulted on bonds uh, domestically and internationally. So I think that uh, that has taught a pretty big lesson to at least global investors. And uh, in my opinion, they're going to be very cautious in terms of which sectors to invest in on the debt side going forward. So that was going to be my, my last question uh, before we move on to the next topic was property. I mean, a lot of these property bonds, aren't they selling for like 50 cents on the dollar? They're, they're quite depressed right now. I mean... Uh, we got to be looking a little forward instead of just saying what's happening right now. I mean, do you think there's some maybe some good values, some good bargains uh, in the in the property sector for for the bond buyers? Well, I would think that on a highly selective basis, a company here, a company there, there has to be um, 
some uh, good opportunities to um, to make money. There is clearly an effort in China on the part of the government at least to support at least some of the developers, not all, some of the developers. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously the trick is to figure out which ones be more important to the government, to the regulators than, than other companies. So those ones should have some value that can be exploited. But overall, I'm always very wary when uh, regulators in China embark on a massive campaign against a company or a sector, and then things uh, turn very badly, it affects the economy strongly, and then you start getting or hearing uh, comments about the fact that uh, we now need to uh, come back a bit, hmm. uh, and it's going to be better. But, you know, when it comes to the real estate sector, I think that there are two or three major considerations that I don't think are going to go away and underpin the sector. One is uh, there are quite a number of developers that are financially stretched, have thousands, ten thousands or hundreds of thousands of apartments in development that have not been completed, which as we all know, on one hand, caused a lot of people to actually stop paying their mortgages. That is a fact. So clearly, if you want to look at it in a contrarian way, it's kind of a positive because inevitably the government's going to have to do something to help them. Hmm. But on the other side, uh, the second consideration, which I think remains very important, is President Xi uh, made it very clear several years ago, and I think it really was about five years ago, that um, houses and apartments were for living in and not speculating. Right. And I don't think that fundamentally uh, that ideology has changed on an opportunistic basis. Maybe it's time to do something to help the sector, to help the economy. But I think that if you look longer term and in terms of a policy trend, I don't think that that has changed at all and I don't think it will change. And then, then the third element, obviously, is how do Chinese people feel about this? How are consumers going to react? Are jobs going to come back quickly? Salaries going to raise? Um, will disposable people, disposable income continue to grow? Or are they, you know, is there a large amount of the population that is going to continue to struggle financially for quite a while? That typically is obviously not very supportive of the real estate market. Hmm. Okay. So uh, there, there are lots of factors, but I, I think the one that you said that makes the most sense to me is, uh, you know, if, if somebody wants to buy the bonds, you know, look and see who the government is backing, uh, who's, getting, yes. who's getting the loans, who's getting the local government assistance and so forth. Right. All right, uh, let's move on. And uh, we were talking about internet before and, and e-commerce. So uh, that takes us into our second topic for today, which is Alibaba, which recently had the dubious distinction of attracting a high-profile activist investor to its stock. Uh, this time it was a billionaire investor named Ryan Cohen, who took a small position in the company and now is agitating for Alibaba to boost its share buyback program. So uh, we see occasional small activist investors, but this seems to be a bigger one. Activist investors typically don't have much success pressuring Chinese companies. Can you tell us why that is? I think part of it is 
cultural. Part of it is, I think, um, a feeling that post the global financial crisis, foreign investors are uh, considered, and especially activists, but are considered as opportunists who have no interest in long-term uh, value <laughs> uh-huh. or long-term uh, development of a business of a company and its growth. So that is definitely a factor. But I don't necessarily want to overemphasize the fact that this is a foreign investor uh, versus, uh, say, a, a Chinese uh, investment fund. The fact, though, is that I think it's a long shot before you're going to see a Chinese financial institution go against a major a Chinese company, and particularly a major Chinese company, unless it's defaulting on a bond or uh, any kind of debt or whatever. So uh, this reminds me of actually what happened in, in a market that was also fairly uh, close to uh, this kind of activity 20, 30 years ago, and that's Japan. And at some point in time, some U.S. activist investors, I'm not sure they were actually called activists at the time, but tried to go after a few Japanese companies. And, and most of the time, and certainly in the beginning, it never ended well <laughs> for, uh, for the foreign investor. Um, I think that in, in Asian societies, but even in, in some Euro- European societies, there's always a reaction of you know, closing ranks and defending against an aggressor. And I think that, um, you know, you see that, by the way, right now, to some extent, playing out in India with the uh, Adani uh, group. And you saw that earlier in Germany with Wirecard. Um, so it's, uh, those things are always very tricky. Over the years of working with Chinese companies, a number of companies have uh, eventually proved share buyback programs and so on. That was typically when the stock was under severe pressure. And there were usually typically smaller companies than Alibaba. Hmm. So those people, those companies were pretty much holding the wrong end of the stick. Uh, There were smaller Chinese companies listed in the US. They were afraid things would you know, go badly or whatever, so they typically live in. One of the big reasons was because they thought it was definitely going to prop up the stock price, which uh, typically happened for a short period of time, and then valuations came back down. Um, Alibaba is obviously a very different case. It's a much bigger company. It is a global company. It has, you know, uh, extremely professional and sophisticated management. I think that they understand this kind of game uh, pretty well. And I think that they will look at it and uh, decide that, after all, they have plenty of opportunities for investment around the world. And that's more important longer term than any short term satisfaction of one investor or another. So sounds like you're saying because uh, I was going to ask is what do you what do you think are uh, Ryan Cohen's chances of success this time? Sounds like you think they're going to probably brush him off. I mean they are they are already buying back stock, so right. It's not like he's pressuring them to do something they're not doing, but he he wants to see them buy back more. 
it's a matter of, of magnitude much more than anything else. I mean, uh, you're absolutely correct. So then if you're the board of a company, if you're management of a company and the board of a company, then you start looking at, you know, what is your best use of funds? And, and typically, it becomes a game of investing in growth opportunities that you believe will have a high rate of return versus getting rid of cash that you may then uh, have to find somewhere else. And where would it be then borrowing money or whatever in order to fund your growth opportunity? So that's obviously the kind of decision that any board and at any company anywhere in the world would go through in that particular process. So I'm not uh, on the board of Alibaba. I have no <laughs> idea what they're thinking about right now, where their growth opportunities are, and then things that they have mentioned, and obviously Southeast Asia is one. Um, hard to tell, but I would not bet on this one. Ha. All right. Well, I, I have to say, I think I'm... I'm in agreement with you on that one. I think uh, Alibaba, like a lot of these Chinese companies, and as you point out, you know, a lot of Western companies as well, you know, not necessarily uh, that inclined to to listen to this kind of activist investor. Right. Hi. Anyhow, uh, thanks for joining us this week, everybody. Uh, in our next program, uh, the Chinese are coming back to the global tourism circuit. And we'll also look at a recent fundraising frenzy by U.S. and Hong Kong-listed Chinese companies. Hope to see you then. Goodbye for now. Goodbye.